Beautiful summer day, early summer day. Good to have you all with us, especially those visiting, those of you visiting with us. It's a blessing to sing songs together, right? Pray together, read scripture together, think about the wonderful gift of our Savior, Jesus. Now back to uh, a human being. I don't know if the lights drown that out. That's a painting of uh, General George Washington. Yes, I know I'm usually down there, but I thought I'd get up a little higher today, just so I can see you better. Okay. General George Washington, I envision this man doing what we call slugging through the early days of the revolution with his troops. He slugged through them. It was nitty gritty. It was, he gutted it out with them. And yes, even though he may have had a more comfortable tent or if they were able to acquire maybe a building like that where he set up set up command post. He may have been in a more comfortable situation than his soldiers, but he suffered with them. Blood was shed. And what I don't know if these paintings represent something that actually happened. Like this one. This one's quite a famous one, too. But I am not a history revisionist, so I'm... I, tend to think of George Washington above all being a man of faith and a man of humility and especially one who had no ambition to be a tyrant. He was trying to overthrow tyranny for crying out loud. That's what the revolution was all about. Therefore, I look at Mr. Washington as, along with other patriots, laying a foundation that others would build upon to develop and create a high-functioning, law-abiding, humanitarian, secure nation in which to be a citizen. It's kind of like another illustration of this would be this Boeing plane, if we could personify this plane. This was one of the first planes that Boeing and another man put together. Matter of fact, the Boeing company made a lot of seaplanes at first. And so if we've personified this guy, he gave way, or it gave way, as time went on and as technology advanced to something like that. And Mr. Boeing, I don't think, well, he didn't see this, this uh, grand machine right there, but he, he and his developers and engineer paved a way for something that was, I guess, greater and better than this little guy. And in the passage Austin read, you're probably thinking, what in the world does that got to do with me? That just talks about David going around wiping out enemies and collecting things, right? So look at 1 Chronicles 18, and we're going to zero in on verse 8. Also from Tibhath and from Kun, cities of Hadadezer, 
David took a very large amount of bronze, that's the title of our talk this morning, with which Solomon made the bronze sea and the pillars and the bronze utensils, which some artist is rendering right there. There's the bronze sea. On, that's very large. If these are priests here, look how large that is. They needed a lot of water for the serving in the temple and everything. So this sea, as they call it, is made out of bronze, and there were bronze utensils inside the temple back there. And Solomon's the one that put all of that together. Later on down the timeline, not during David's time, but what did David do? Here's our main point. If you're following along in the family news on the back, David did what he could. And he, before Solomon was even, I don't know if Solomon was born yet or not, but David took a very large amount of bronze. In that text, it also tells us that David took a very large amount of gold, and they would be articles, gold articles that, uh, from, from other nations. Jehovah never intended that David build a temple or a house for him. Whose job is that going to be? Solomon's, that's right. So Solomon is later on going to have what I call a major meltdown. Because he's going to melt down, remelt the, the bronze and the gold and the silver, and with his craftsmen, build a temple that David would not see. David was content with being on the support team, however. Okay? He was the man, David was the man that supported the man that would build the greatest structure in the history of, of humanity. And how did David support this effort? Collecting and gathering the building materials, right? Look at your text there. That's what he's doing. Now, is there any takeaways for us here? I'm getting right into application. Any takeaways for us? I, I like to think of what I call the comparison cauldron. It's easy for us to slip into it sometimes, maybe without it. Any, even realizing it, and you say, what in the world is a comparison cauldron? Well, that's where we stew and ask questions like, well, why aren't we like so-and-so? Why am I not like so-and-so? Why do they get this or get that? Sounds like a child at Christmas time, doesn't it? Not my children. They never said that. Why does brother get that? At least that, not that I heard. Why does he or she end up getting to do this or that? I've worked my tail off. I've sacrificed my life to get to this point. Now, to me, that sounds more like this, the pout pot. <laughs> right? Any of you have been sitting in the pout pot at any time? Maybe not this week. How about in the past? You pout over things like that. David could have said that. David could have said, man, I suffered. I worked my tail off. I was chased around by Saul, and, and I just went up against a whole bunch of enemies and securing this kingdom and expanding it to the Euphrates, as, as uh, 1 Chronicles 19 says there. But again, even though he said that, he was content with listening to the Lord. Matter of fact, brethren, chapter 17, 1 Chronicles 17, describes to us the fact that David was informed by God 
that he was not going to build the temple. It was going to be Solomon. And did David throw a fit? No. It has a prayer recorded. Don't read it now, but it's a good read sometime this week. Read 1 Chronicles 17. And it gives you an idea of David's attitude. David was a faithful servant. So what do faithful servants do? They do tasks that need to be done. There's some uh, blanks to fill in your family news there. They do tasks that need to be done, not only tasks that they want to do. Think about it, folks. Overseeing the gathering of bronze is not very glamorous, is it? And, and David didn't collect that himself. He had his servants. He probably, he, he, over, he was the overseer of collecting all this. But it's not very exciting and it's not very glamorous. And it, it won't make the headlines. It won't make the news. It won't even make the fake news when you do something like this. But the benefits, what would be the benefits of gathering this material? Is it going to save Solomon time later down the road? Yeah, save Solomon time. Others are going to enjoy the splendor of that beautiful temple that Solomon constructed. And folks, that is selfless. David's not being selfish and wanting all the glory and attention. So here's another take home. Instead of doing things all by yourself and getting all the glory, we need to ask ourselves, what can I do for the kingdom? Or put, taking it out of a question and into a statement, do what you can for the kingdom. You know why? Because there's no shortage of jobs. There's just a shortage of workers. And, and sometimes I hesitate to bring up this idea of jobs and workers but it's in the Bible. I mean, you go all the way back to Genesis and God worked. And there's work all throughout the Bible. It's, it's just when we get to the topic of our salvation, I, I don't want us, and I encourage you to avoid this every once in a while, don't want us to, to think about the idea that we're working in the kingdom in order to pay back some of our debt or all of our debt. Is that even going to be possible? No. Who paid that price? Jesus Christ. That's right. So don't worry about that aspect. But there are things to be done in the kingdom. There is work to do. Think of it more, instead of work, think of it as serving. Your servants in the kingdom serving your king. If you have made Jesus your king in your heart, that's your first question. Take a look at this verse here. John 4, 35 through 36. Do you not say, there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, this is Jesus talking, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. They are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for, eternal, for life eternal, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. And I, I know he's speaking directly to his disciples, and there's a specific harvest there that he's referring to that they're involved in. But there's one thing in common with that passage in us, and what is that? A couple of things. But number one, 
there's a harvest. There, there's still a harvest. There's a harvest around you and me. Well, what I want to highlight there is that phrase, he that sows and he that reaps may rejoice together. Do, really, in this passage, do you see the teamwork? And think of it in connection of David and Solomon. Look at the teamwork here. One sows and another reaps. That is a beautiful picture. David is also an example for us in another way. He possessed a servant's attitude of love. In 2 Samuel 9, 1, he asked the question. We're just taking a sliver out of the context here in 2 Samuel 9, 1. Is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Who was Jonathan? Friend. A friend of David's. Son of Saul. One of the sons of Saul's. He was a righteous friend of David in some of David's darkest hours. Because David was running from Jonathan's father, Saul, who was jealous. He, he, he abandoned God and his faith. And so an uh, evil spirit basically... Oh, he allowed uh, evil to run his life, and he ran David all over the place. And David could never repay Jonathan for his kindness. David was running from his life from Saul like a deer from a hunter. He crisscrossed the wilderness, and by the time David became king, Jonathan had died. And Jonathan had the sense and the discernment to know that his father Saul was not walking down the right path. And Saul was making horrible decisions and was seeking David's life, and that was wrong. You can tell Jonathan knows that because Jonathan helps David. So Jonathan is dead and gone, so is Saul. Sadly, Jonathan paid the price for Saul's sins, and that line was not going to continue as far as the kingdom and royalty. So what did David do? He did this right here. He looked for an opportunity to help someone who couldn't help themselves, and who was that? It's a long name, isn't it? One of Jonathan's sons, Mephibosheth. That's correct. Because Jonathan would have done the same for him, and Jonathan had done the same for him, not, not in this same way, but in helping him, helping someone who couldn't help themselves at the time. And so uh, Mephibosheth was one who was crippled, and... David, after a period of time, I think someone said it was 20 years. We don't want to get in, bogged down into that, into that and ask, why would, did it take that long? But eventually he brings Mephibosheth into his household, sets up Ziba as a servant, and takes care of him and sacrifices for this son of Jonathan. What a beautiful picture. What is a takeaway from here? What can we take home? How about this? Let Jesus shine through you. And why? Why do you want to let Jesus shine through you? Well, this sounds like a tagline that you see in commercials and advertisements and books and magazines. Make the world a better place, a more godly place. And it, it, it often follows advertisements to give to charity and things like that. And is there anything wrong with that? Is there anything wrong with giving and helping out charity and all those things? No, absolutely not. 
But I, I, I often ask the question, you know, if we originated by accident, we are not a product of a creator, and we're just here by chance, just a higher form of animal, why would you want to do things like this? This gets, kind of gets into our Sunday morning talk. We are created, not just physical beings, but implanted in this container of ours with a spirit, and that spirit has the ability to do what we have up there on the board, all those things, especially love, and to seek peace, and exercise patience, and to feel joy, and to do good works, meaning we're helping others, we're loving others. So yeah, it'll, you'll make the place, the world, a more godly place if you're practicing these things. I'm going to quote directly from our friend Scott Byer, whom we've been used, retrofitting some of his Bible bites on Sunday morning. He says, quote, go about doing good. That's doing good, isn't it? Helping out the little old lady with her groceries. We chuckle at that. But that is a small little act of kindness right there, correct? Go about doing good where you can, when you can. There's a... Why do little old ladies keep popping up in these pictures? Because, you know, it's like orphans and widows. They, of all facets of society, they need the help the most, usually. When you can, and fill whoever's, or is that supposed to be whomever, Evan? What's the grammatical correctness there? Fill whoever's needs are right in front of you. Look at this. I love this image. But the scripture I have up there is, And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Remember a couple of weeks ago? And that, that's really the idea. Not, not just getting in the last of the line, but helping someone upward. Can you think of in your family, in your friends, in your amongst your co-workers, among, in your community, is there anybody that you can help upward? And not just in a physical status. We're not talking about help them get rich necessarily physically, but how about rich spiritually? Is there any way we can help others do that? We were singing a couple of weeks ago with Deborah and Barak. In Judges 5.2, that the leaders led in Israel and that the people volunteered, bless the Lord. The NIV words it this way. When the princes, or some of your translations might say commanders, in Israel take the lead when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. So our last point here this morning is bless the Lord when his people glorify him through their voluntary service. Brethren, are you with me? Prepare. I want to exhort you to prepare to learn and grow and show up. Now, when I say show up, what's the first thing that bops into your mind? Oh, Gibbons is talking about going to church. Hmm... Well, is assembling together with brethren, is that an important thing? Amen, absolutely. You might say, well, are you givens? Are you talking about showing up to potlucks or men's breakfast or class 
or singing or a prayer meeting, and I would say, well, those are important too. That's part of not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. They're very important. But you know what? I'm really focusing on showing up spiritually. Show up spiritually. Connect with Jesus. Connect with God. Connect with the Spirit. How do you connect with God the Father? It's through Jesus Christ. We're, but we're talking beyond an intellectual knowledge level. We're talking about creating and being involved in fellowship with God. In, in relationship with God. The word relationship, you might, you might not be able to find that in your Bible, but you sure see the pictures. The parent-child relationship. The bridegroom-bride relationship. Shepherd-sheep. The great shepherd with his sheep. King and kingdom. It's all over the place. And, and I know people in the world just struggle with this idea of spiritual. What do you mean spiritual? What do you mean grasp the spiritual aspect of things? And sadly, I think people in the family of God struggle with that too. We'd like to focus on the physical and the outward parts of quote-unquote religion, right? Go to church. Take the Lord's Supper. Do some singing. Pray. Put money in the, in the basket. Go to church. Do some singing. Take the Lord's Supper. Pray. Put some money in the basket. Next Sunday, go to church. You know, a, a checklist Christianity, a routine. And I know you hear preachers talking about all the time, exhorting us to think about between the boxes, the Sunday to the Sunday. What are you doing in between? We certainly don't want to look pious and religious here on Sunday and then go home and scream and yell at our neighbors and kids and, and uh, even you know, tell little lies and try to get away with not working and being lazy. and you know, that, That's the hypocrite route, right? So let's not play act. Are you genuine in your faith? Are you genuine in your love for God? Next time there's a call for volunteers, which is usually all the time, Bless the Lord by being one. Amen? Bless the Lord by being a volunteer. And you say, well, how, what do I do? What do I do? How do I be a volunteer? How do I offer myself willingly? Right here. How do I do that? Read the book like Romans 12, for example. Ephesians 4. 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. It's all sorts of practical things in what we call the New Testament that you can do to show up. Here am I, send me. Does that sound familiar, Taylor? Didn't somebody refer to that this morning? Isn't that the reading? Know what Jesus says. It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. What does he mean up there? It is not this way among you. Well, in the context there, Jesus puts it this way. Their great men exercise authority over them. In other words, in our culture, you go around and you look around, you're going to see bosses and you're going to see employees. You're going to see people bossing people around. That's the way 
human society structures itself usually, and it usually works. Bosses and workers. But Jesus says this is not the way it should be among you. What? What isn't this way? Simply put, that in God's family, there needs to be one great body of people. You know what they're called? Starts with an S. Servants. So here's the take home, the big take home. Number three, find your large amount of bronze. Obviously, I'm speaking figuratively. If it's leadership, be a leader who leads. If it's a volunteer, offer yourself for service. And through it all, look for someone who cannot help themselves. How about that? Look for someone who cannot help themselves. So think of David. He collected a large amount of bronze. He helped Mephibosheth. He's a great example for us, isn't he? Who's the greatest example? The one who got down and washed the feet of his servants, his disciple, right? Now, I uh, sometimes I think of a great point or, or a great answer. I think of a great answer after the fact. Like we had a question, it was a good question in class this morning. And those of you who were in class, you're going to, I don't want to lose you, but the, the question was, did I think when Adam and Eve were in the garden that they would have died physically if they stayed in the garden? And the best answer to that is a question like Jesus would use, use his tactic. Did Adam and Eve stay in the garden? They didn't. So we don't need to worry about whether they would have died or not if they stayed in the garden. That's the best answer. And it brings me to death. Are any of you here who are not in Christ, are you thinking of, do you think of death? Even if you are in Christ, at some point we need to think of death. Phys physical death and the consequences of spiritual death. Physical get death gets to thinking, us to thinking about what if I'm separated from God eternally? Don't worry about your best friend or your loved ones or your relatives who have gone on before and may not have chosen to believe in Jesus Christ. You cannot do anything about that. You ask yourself, what do I do? And do I want to spend the afterlife with my loved ones whom I know are serving God and who are confident in their salvation? I'd say, yeah, I want to spend my afterlife with you. At the feet of Jesus. But are you in Christ right now? Are you serving him? If there is no God, if there is no Christ, there's no sense even discussing what we did in this lesson this morning, is there? What, what a beautiful thing to be in the kingdom of God. Amen? Do you want to be his servant? Continue. You, you, and I've praised you all for being servants. But we can expand and we can grow. I just don't. And Carm doesn't. And Dad doesn't want to see us get stagnant and start stinking. For those of you who are not 
a part, or maybe you're new to this group, I'm emphasizing the fact that to reach out in the community with the good news, we're not doing it through sermon giving. That's not the primary way we are saving so, souls. If you want to bring a visitor here on a Sunday who's not a believer, by all means do that because we have some very warm welcomers, right? All of us. And we will welcome them, make them feel comfortable. But telling the good news of Jesus Christ is going to take place out in your realm of influence. Amen? So take the opportunity to encourage you again to either be a connector or if you feel confident and you have the gifts of being a teacher, be a teacher. But there, there's a harvest out there, folks, and people are dying and there's seekers. There are genuine seekers that want to know, is there something better than life on this earth? And there is, isn't there? But there is beautiful blessings in Christ even now. Do you want to share that with them? Let's share that with them. Let's stand and sing the song that's been selected.